So welcome everybody to the Meet the Coaches call for today. I'm just going to take you all off mute very briefly. And if you've got background noise, could you please self-mute yourself? The man of the moment today is Mike Pimentel. So Mike, I'm going to take you off mute. Mike, can you hear me? I can, Ian. Thanks. Excellent. So Mike, thanks for making yourself available. I know you've got a, a schedule there that is very family oriented at the moment and we're taking away from that. So we will be brief. The aim for us to chat with Mike today is to get an insight for coaches coming into the program in the future from Mike's experiences over the last two decades with KSI. So after I've asked Mike all my questions, if any of the coaches on the line want to have a question with Mike, you will be more than welcome to do so. But Mike, I know we've gone through this a number of times before and you've told your story before, but Take us back. What, what was your first exposure to KSI or to myself? Uh, first exposure to KSI was um, probably after I'd been into the into the industry, into the field from um, from a sports medicine background um, for about a decade. And as it happened, I was in that in that decade, I was moving more and more towards physical preparation, and um, it kind of came into my lap at the collegiate level that I had an opportunity and, and I took it. Um, I thought I had to wear two hats. I thought I had to wear, wear one, one for, for sports medicine and another for, for strength and conditioning. So I started reading a little bit more and probably like most of the, the listeners on the call, you came across Ian's writing and, and something resonated with you. And that's exactly was, that exactly was the start. Um, started reading more and, and Jesus, this stuff's making sense to me. Uh, I can do something with this. Because it, it wasn't wearing two hats. It was the same hat, um, growing in, in, in different directions. There was a lot more continuity to it. Uh, so I, uh, I dove in and, um, there was an opportunity to, to meet Ian here in the, uh, in the Boston area and, uh, I took it up. It was a weekend seminar. It was, it was, um, as you would typically marketed in a, in a similar way. The price of the of the weekend seminar, seminar was uh, very similar to anything I'd, I'd done previous in sports medicine or, or physical preparation. And um, I, along with the some marketing material, I received in addition a some information on a professional boot camp, something I'd never heard of before. But what made my jaw drop at the time was uh, was the cost, and I. I sh- very quickly sent Ian a, a, a quick email saying, uh, how can I, how could I justify spending the equivalent of my monthly mortgage for three days with you? And I had just gotten married. I, had, my wife and I had literally just bought the house. Um, so I really was, was really curious. And, um, Ian shut me an email right back and said, well, perhaps you're not the person that this information was actually meant for. Um, so I just kind of scratched my head, my head and, and said, sounds like a challenge. So I stepped up, went to the weekend seminar. And um, at the end of that seminar, I raised my hand and uh, told Ian who I was. I was the guy that sent you that email. And um, we got into a we got into a chat. And he, what really intrigued me was that Ian was not um, he was not offended in any way. I think he was a bit surprised that someone may have admitted that to him. <laughs> To his face, but uh, 
that following, I think it was only maybe six months later, I was hosting that seminar. Uh, and things have been, it's been nothing but a continual improvement over the last now 20 years. So that was, that was our start, Ian. Um, I think shortly, so that was way back in 99. Um, we probably, I think I attended every boot camp that you had in the U.S. Um, from that time forward. Um, the, the changes that I've made in, in 20 years with, with KSI would probably, um, I know it, I know it can boggle an accountant. Uh, I know it can boggle my clients. And I know it, it boggles, um, it boggles the, the, the professional development field in physical preparation that, um, this isn't a, a come and go kind of an experience 20 years into the program and I'm still learning. Great story, Mike. We, we appreciate every one of those 20 years. Bit of history there, really, because uh, I think that was that event in Boston was it was the same one where we had the, the famous Boston walkout. Was that right? Exactly right. I, I bore witness to that whole thing. Yeah, where one one certain uh, coach I'd never heard of before gathered his his troops around him and stormed out, took took about one third of the participants from the program out of it, and then um, proceeded to send a very nasty email to the host saying how terrible I was, how bad my content was about a presenter I was, and if she ever hosted me again, the following things were going to happen to her. And yet that same person obviously um, must have liked what I taught because he then turned around and published every single bit of it and became somewhat of a functional strength guru. But, um, you know, copying someone's work and, and actually having the competence yourself to apply them are two different things. Uh, that's a story in itself. Now, the bit of history that you were around there was a boot camp. I introduced the concept of professional development boot camps into the American industry uh, back in the late 90s, and you again witnessed that because, as you said, you never heard of a professional development boot camp. Oh, and I, I'm going to tell the readers or the listeners, sorry, um, right now that it was that initial boot camp. Um, I still have got, I still have those notes in my library. Uh, the consistency and it's, so it's not the, the message in that boot camp that I initially, that I initially drew that there was continuity amongst all these different qualities that we have in life, all these different opportunities that we have in life. Um, and that's made a world of difference because most professional boot camps, they, they market themselves as well, we're a business boot camp or business mastery or how to get more clients or, um, how to teach a squat or a deadlift or a, like whatever you want. Um, they run in and of themselves. I mean, we went in depth for anywhere from 12 to 16 plus hours a day for three days straight and no topic was left unturned. And there was, and again, and I'm going to repeat this, that there was a common thread no matter whether we were talking about business or actual coaching or um, the rehabilitation of an athlete or speed mechanics or every, there was a common thread amongst all of the topics that we covered. And it made, it's made life so much easier for me. Um, as a coach, once, once I fully digested all of the content, um, it's not a, it's not a three day kind of thing. Like once you enter the CMP, it's, um, You've got to let it enter every aspect of your life in order for it to really hold. 
Um, and I think that's been, that's really been my biggest experience in being with KSI. Excellent, Mike. So I find that one of the greatest challenges that the newcomers to, to in the industry now or people looking at KSI now are comparing us. Where at your time there was no comparison, you know, as you said, there was no such thing as a boot camp. We, we started the concept. Never heard of it. So, and now, you know, everybody's imitating everything we do. Um, so people are coming in and thinking, well, you know, you're just like Joe Bloggs down the road because, you know, you're, he's doing exactly the same thing, not realizing that we, we were the first, we're still the best. Um, so what I, what I feel the need to do these days to help people understand the difference is, is talk about the changes more so that we make in people's lives on a, on a factual basis, not a, not a hypothetical basis. And you're, you're a pretty good example because you're 20 years in. And so let's talk about the impact. Uh, and you came in as a, a college strength coach, uh, you know, also qualified athletic trainer. Um, so everybody comes into the program differently. And, and a lot of people get the idea that you have to be training athletes and otherwise the program, program is no relevance or KSI way is no relevance to you. But um, you came in as a, a strength coach at the college. We'll talk about the, the lifestyle that you led coming into the program so the so when I came into the into the um, into the university level in, in the industry um, I was working for Tufts University at the time it's Tufts is if if people don't understand it Tufts is one of the top top 20 ranked in college collegiate institutions in the US um, very academically oriented um, strong strong athletic history and um, I was hired to fulfill, at first, a sports medicine position, and then, as we talked about, it spread into a um, in, into a physical preparation position. Um, at the collegiate level, it's it can sound quite glamorous, and you're working with athletes. I had, at the time, I, I was a I was the sole physical preparation coach, and uh, I had about 750 to 800 athletes. Under my, under my guidance. So my day would start somewhere around 6 a.m. It would end somewhere around, um, 8 to 9 p.m. And during certain times of the year, because I was still doing, um, mixing my, mixing my responsibilities, uh, it wasn't worth me driving home to grab sleep. So I would literally sleep on my office floor. And I was doing that for probably the, the uh, gastronomical amount of about $25,000, $27,000 a year. So great insights, Mike. And obviously, well, let's, before we go through um, from a timeline perspective into some of the changes we've gone into, um, you, you don't um, work at Tufts anymore. And, and I know it's tough. How many years were you at Tufts? Uh, in total, I was there for 26. So it was, it was tough to, to move on, but, um, you know, obviously from a, from a time perspective and from a, from a control of your work environment, you know, things, things, uh, you know, compared 20 years later, things changed a fair bit. Yeah, very much so. Um, so back in, let's see. So it would have been pre 2005. So I started um, after consulting with you and, and realizing what I had on offer, and I had this growing clientele outside the university. Um, 
all division division all different division athletes, um, some nationally ranked athletes in certain sports. Um, it's expanded obviously from there, and we can share that later. But um, so pre two thousand five, we realized that we were in a position with multiple streams of income. Um, with clients flying in at literally from around the country, and that's through the the work with with KSI. We've got a, a fantastic uh, athlete sponsorship program where they can come and see a KSI coach. And uh, we had athletes flying in from goodness Minnesota, South Carolina um, at the at the time. So there was a, additional funds happening there. We realized that we were in a financial position where um, having children, we were up to probably two children and moving into the third where we realized, hey, you know what? We don't have to live where we are. We have a we have the power of choice and we've got an ability to negotiate because of the, the services that we offer. Um, so we made a family decision to move from uh, just outside of Boston in the Metro West area down to beautiful Cape Cod, which is a a resort peninsula just off the coast of um, Massachusetts. Moved into a bigger home, um, about twice the square footage actually, uh, and raised our children in, in a small town um, with the conveniences of a small town ap- atmosphere and a, and a beach style life. So uh, that was probably one of the biggest things. And so in, a, in addition to that, that, my commute was a little bit farther. So where the negotiating skills came in was I was able to negotiate my time within within the university framework. Um, Reduce my time, still have full-time status, but um, to year one, I think I was down to four days a week. The next year, I was down to three days a week. The following year was um, down to two days, two days a week, um, and then there was finally a, a an official retirement in uh, in 2011. Yeah, great story, great transition. So talk about your facility in Boston, sorry, in Cape Cod, Mike. So the, um, the facility here, we had originally scoped out an opportunity for maybe a 2,500-square-foot studio space. Um, we, searched for, we searched for a number of years, um, had, a, had a recommendation to meet with a gentleman uh, who had some industrial warehouse space. It was a drywall distribution center. Uh, within Cape Cod, and, and um, the economy at the time was actually pretty flat in construction. Uh, the drywall company moved off of the Cape and pulled itself in back into the Boston area. In the, in the meeting that I had with the potential landlord, uh, we hit it off really well, and I was actually able to help him with uh, with some back issues he was having at the time, and he was pretty amazed with with the experience, and we wound up moving into a is four times the size that we were looking for. It was a bit of leap of faith, um, but it's been a it's been a fantastic experience. Uh, I've been able to to uh, help many many individuals in a in a very uniquely styled space, uh, probably very different from what's what's available and what's marketed today. Um, and obviously, we're we promote the KSI way of training athletes, and there's a massive educational piece that goes with this. So we've got a seminar area. We've got a uh, about a 5,000 square foot uh, open turf area 
where athletes are encouraged to practice the skills in their sport. And we've made quite a few inroads with some excellent skills coaches, lacrosse, baseball, softball, field hockey, um, even swimming. We work with a local swim club as well. Obviously, they're not so much on the on the turf as they are when we go and do dry land with them down at the pool. But um, it's just an example of balancing an athlete and their and their growth and meeting their individual needs in a space that's tailored designed to work with the uh, with the overall program. We've got massive massive mat massive mat space uh, for stretching. Uh, we've done wrestling, we've done martial arts out on those mats, and then of course we've got a, your traditional weight room. So, Mike, further showcasing you as a as an example of the outcomes, and you know, as you said, 20 years, and you're not only still with us, but you still appreciate the learning that continues for you as we do and myself every day. The the next thing that I I find because there is so much noise in the marketplace. Uh, people say, no, I've got the answers, I've got the program coming to this and it's really great, blah, blah, blah. Uh, from a, from your perspective, you had quite a bit of experience before you got exposed to the Southern Coast Island, you obviously had a lot of experience. And how would you, how would you explain the outcome in training differences between what we do and what everyone else does? Is it like, is it just marketing? Is it like 10%? I mean, what, what, what is it? Like, I, I'd love to try, love to, um, your perspective on just why the majority do X and we do Y. <laughs> it, really simply because it works. Um, my, one of my one of my biggest passions and one of the things that I saw very sadly over 26 years um, at the collegiate level is that I saw the the incoming injuries to college were growing. And, ser- and seriously growing. These weren't like, these weren't hamstring strains. They weren't, they were major injuries. Um, surgical injuries. Kids having their, having their knees done. Kids having their shoulders done. And having their shoulders done in, in a sport like, like swimming. And this is not a downplay on swimming. Please understand. But when you can control every variable, including right down to the temperature of the water, and you end up as a 18 year old, Already having shoulder surgery, um, something's wrong. Something's going on there. You control every training variable, and you're still yielding shoulder injury to the extent of, of having a, so, a surgery. And you should, you literally should not be hurt. So what are what are we missing? Um, so those I've got to see those injuries rise coming into school. So I've got a real I've got a real passion for helping kids prior to getting to college. It's um, and Ian, you you can speak to this way better than I can um, with the extensive experience that you have saving athletes, saving athletes and their careers at the professional level and, and the Olympic level moving forward. But in truth, those injuries probably never should have happened. And there's there's such an incredible waste of life and such an incredible waste of natural talent and skill. I see kids actually get worse than better as they age. And nobody's asking the question why. Um, so back to your back to your question, and when you talk about why do we do things different, 
it's because it works. Because if we keep if we kept doing what everyone else is doing, uh, we're not making that injury pattern any better. We're making we're contributing to it. So I, I think that's the that's the overall writing. I can I can give you a bunch of examples of maybe why it happens, um, especially with with young kids. Um, I see trainers coming into the into the industry, and maybe they've done a fair amount of training. They've got an athletic background, um, either in a particular sport or or generalists in training. They wanted to become a physical prep coach, um, and they get a they get a formal education, and you can see this even with a with a friend of mine who was my assistant um, at Tufts. You could look at the you could look at the size of the books. He went on and got his master's in, in physical prep, and a book that I had bought probably ten years earlier, um, he was using in an, in an academic class, but it was ten years later. That book had literally grown. Ten times the size, but not because it was filled with more information. It's because it was the font was bigger, the book was bigger, the pictures were bigger. Um, so you went from you went from probably a, an eighteen to twenty dollar book to a seventy dollar academic book, but not offering any more information that was present in the ten years prior. Um, so it was a it's that kind of experience. It's, it starts there. It just starts with people teaching the average, most accepted information possible, passed down from 10 to 20 years earlier. Um, it's people unable to actually critically think. They just accept what's been what's been given to them, what's been fed. Um, they've got to take some responsibility because they ate it, and then they regurgitated it to someone else. So there's just they're perpetuating the problem. Um, you wrote about this, and it's interesting because it, my my whole career in the last 20 years of of my life has obviously been influenced by some a lot of the observations that you've um, you've written about. And one of the benefits of being in this group is that we get to participate in that thought process. Um, and for the listeners, you have to know Ian in, in that. He's not um, he's not the kind of coach, he's not the kind of mentor that does all the thinking and then just presents his view of it. He's the type of mentor that will exchange information with the student, no matter how old or how young, and he'll always draw something positive. He'll always draw something of great importance from it and then bring that into the mentorship. Um, so one of the one of the earlier books that that Ian wrote just after the uh, some of this plagiarist shit that went on was really about how to critically think, not think by protocols. If you look at the way a lot of medicine is done these days, it's all protocol based. It's a you could even say pattern based. If you have X affliction and you perform A B C, you get this result. Now, that may work for some part of the population, but I don't believe I don't believe it's truly the answer because there's too many things that influence what's happening. And I want to I also want to tell the, the listeners, I want you to take your mind away from 
just how you coach or how you present an exercise or even how you program design because there's far more variables that have to come into congruency before you get to even that stage in order to achieve something with the athlete. Um, I'm getting off, I'm getting off track here, Ian, but, um, I think that's, that's an underlying cause with, with new people coming into the industry and they're, they're looking more to impress, to impress people from a marketing standpoint. Um, they're looking to impress people with their, with their presence. They're looking to impress people with, um, how hard they appear to work their athletes in the setting. Um, and, some of the challenge with that is they're training from my, again, my perspective and where my passion lies is training these young kids. When you've got a kid with zero to two, maybe three years of, of training age, come on, how, how hard is it to impress that kind of kid or even their parent who probably knows less? Because you're seen to be, you know, on the verge of vomiting, Sweating, working hard, um, flex magazine kind of drama around an exercise. Uh, but you're not really teaching them anything. You're just, you're, you're appealing to everyone's perception of what they think training is. Um, and majority of that probably is happening in the weight room. You're not out training speed. You're not out training flexibility. You're not out training endurance. Um, which one and which one of those qualities pertains most to what you're going to do? In in America, we we talk about it all the time. We've got such a we've got such a hard on for strength that we think it all happens there. I've seen athletes, say football players, spend three to four months in their in their season, and then eight to nine months out of season, but all they but they never leave the weight room. And they're lacking so many fundamental skills or other aspects of their development as an athlete that um, they might be bigger, they might be stronger, but their ass is still riding the bench. And they're more injury prone. It's 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 really pretty sad, but I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent there, Ian, but does, does that get the point across? Yeah, no, that was right. It reminds me of what Kevin Durant had to say about the combine experience. He said they, the transition coaches were mocking me, were laughing at me, and I said – the bloke who did the best in their tests didn't get drafted. And look at me now. Anyway, yep. um, a great example. <laughs> you know, I, to be straight, and it's obviously not making me friends, but the less you do in the conventional strength conditioning, the greater athlete you'll be. The more you do, the more you'll kill your athletic potential. And the younger you start it, the shorter your career will be. And as I said, I understand that won't make me friends. I'm not, I'm not on the planet to make friends. Uh, it's, the gap is just getting so wide between what we do and what everyone else is doing. But, I think my, perhaps one of the, one of the greatest challenges is people is the fear of conforming. I think they're just so worried that if they don't do what everyone else is doing that they'll be ostracized. You see that? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I, but I see the athlete paying the cost and that's, that's the yes. tragedy. Mm-hmm. Who, who, who's it really about? The athlete or the coach? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Doing, cause it, if you look at if you, if you look at the age of the athlete and you're you're training kids um, through high school even college for that matter, their their equation for success is that gee if if the weight on the excuse me if the weight on the bar goes up, geez I must be getting better. Mm. It's, it's it's so far off the mark because how many how many tricks how many things can you learn 
just to make just to make a load go up. Mm-hmm. You haven't made any transfer from what's on the bar to what happens on the field or on the court. And it's it's one of the things that I've I've really enjoyed teaching kids and helping them to understand is that we'll use strength training, we'll use flexibility training, speed training, endurance training as a method or a medium through which to teach them to better use their bodies. And that's what transfers to the field. So unless you're in a sport, say like Olympic lifting or, or, uh, or power lifting where your wins and losses come from how much load you lift, um, let's sit down and have a, and have a real chat about what's going on, give you a really long career, um, be injury free longer so that by the time you're 50, you're not coming back to me and saying, you know, I've blown my hips out. I've had arthritic changes in my knee. Uh, I can't lift anymore because my back's gone. Uh, it, it, it's about it's about their health and performance now, and then it's it'll always. And you you and I are are, are old guys, Ian, with a, with our share of mistakes in our bodies. Um, mm-hmm. To be at an at an older age, not not having to curb what you want to do or be limited by what what your body has to offer. Um, so it's it's not just about your athletes now. It's about what are you doing to them to help them far into the future. And what we're doing is we're educating them. You want them as smart as you are in regards to training so that they can make decisions with their own autonomy going forward and not get caught up in this shit that is going to leave them lame for the next 20 years and scratching their heads why. Well, you said it firsthand, and I like that point you made about the tricks in the, in the gym because it's been really um, tragic to watch the embracing of powerlifting. Um, you know, let's take our stance wide. A lot of the bar on our back, wow, we, we were a better athlete now because we lifted more in the squat. Well, let's, let's widen our the grip, lower our bar to lower our stomach and increase our arch and increase our bench. Wow, look, we're, we're a better athlete now. We're not a better athlete. You've just changed the displacement of an irrelevant load in a non-specific movement. So, yeah, it's so many tricks. Uh, it's been tough to watch that embracing. So, like one of the many um, benefits we've had, mutually had having the opportunity to work out at Tufts is, you know, I can't remember how many times I flew in and out of Tufts. In Boston, in that period of time, I don't know, what, 20, 30 times I really have lost count? Oh, it, it got to be at least that because – we hosted you at Tufts um, once to twice a year for that that whole 26 years. So we had some great experiences here, and we're able to address some of the challenges that people usually put up as their excuses. And let's start with this concept of individualization, because I think one of the one of the fundamental differences between the case I and everyone else is that uh, if it's not individualized, it's not on. We'll stop. Um, you know, we really, really don't like um, non-individualized approach to training. And you had 700 plus athletes, so you 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 changed your approach, didn't you? From from you know just a generic group program, you you were, you were showing, I and mean, we spent a lot of time on this on the concept of individualization. No, oh, without without question, um, that's all I right now are individualized programs. Um, way back when I was introduced to individualized program, it was like I really had to scratch my head my head and say, Chris, how am I going to get this all done? How's it going to happen? Um, what are going to be the What are going to be the results? What are my responsibilities? Um, but through through your tutelage, through your guidance, 
uh, I was able to do that and um, and give a higher level of service and a higher level of education. Uh, and it went far beyond just, I think, individualized programming. There's concepts in there about how you build an, an athlete's self-confidence. How do you then take that and transition it to um, a team a team culture? And how does your influence affect that team culture? Um, team culture being the rules of being on the team without having to be written down. And at, in doing that, you make your work so much easier and you can reach so many more people um, because the athletes start to understand themselves, their role within that team. Um, they become mentors to a certain extent. And, um, and again, there's a process to that that exists far beyond um, how many, how many keys you're punching on a keyboard and trying to, and trying to take things into account. Um, I don't know if I'm hitting the nail on the head here, Ian, but I just... Well, what, I, what, what I like is you raise culture, which we're always going to go next, because you, you've been involved in sport. So we're talking about sport. And I, I, I'm going to tell you, the majority of coaches lose on their culture on day one. And they don't lose the culture. They lose on the sporting field because they don't understand culture. So the, the role of culture and the teaching or coach of, of culture is a fundamental step to winning in sport. If you don't have an optimal culture, you are never, ever, ever going to win unless by some freak of accident, everyone else has got a worse culture. And it's, you know, when I, when I go in and I analyze sporting teams, no matter what level, what country, what, what age, what sport, it stands out to me really quickly about whether what the chances are of success. In, and I'm, I'm not just talking about team sports. I'm talking about individual sports that, that train in, in a team environment, such as swimming, etc. Uh, this, you know, a lot of a lot of sports, skiing, and you know, especially in national squads, they train somewhat as a team. They they they're lost immediately because coaches don't understand culture. Now we come in and originally and typically from the physical preparation perspective, it is you know we we. we we, we deal holistically with athlete preparation. It's, it's, uh, we allow people out to, to picture us or stereotype us as physical preparation coaches from, from the get go because it helps them understand us. But it, the further they go off our coaching program, they understand that's not what we do. We are, we're here to solve the problem of how shall that athlete fulfill their potential, that sporting team. So you, from a cultural perspective, you had so many real world experiences. And as a result of that, you changed the culture of the entire athletic department. So you want to run a few examples there because changing culture is not always smooth. It's not always easy, but when you do it, it gets real smooth and easy. So, you know, sometimes um, there's some conflict and, but that ultimately, you know, we created a whole different culture um, in your, in your time there at Tufts. So you want to comment about some real life examples. So going back, one of the, one of the earliest examples was um, a time we were working with a, with a team and, we each had an opportunity as as students to um, to work with that team in a, in a way that we um, that we thought was best. And uh, and you had come in, and the the idea, the cultural idea presented was to basically remain quiet and spend more time doing and focusing than uh, than talking. You briefed the team as to what the expectation was, and uh, it was one of the captains who had a one of the captains that had a um, had a penchant for being in control, 
and not knowing when to when to stay quiet. And at one point, you'd asked him to, okay, you need to you need to quiet down. Two minutes later, he's he's doing the same thing, and you approached him and you said, okay, either you leave or we leave. Basically, the rest of the team taking the rest of the team into a different room, and and he'd be uh, removed from the training circle. And they, uh, there was a blowout that happened, but he left. And we got so much more done in a shorter period of time without that distraction happening. And there was one another the- one. There was another one with the football, the football squad, uh, the football squad, and the coach. Hey, which one was that? I, I, the head coach was in the room, but I didn't know he was in the room. I don't know if you remember that one. No. <laughs> I do now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the coach wanted to walk around and do chit-chat um, while things were going on, and, and you promptly asked him, you need to leave. It was disrupting what was what was happening in the room. Um, so from the top from the top down, the rules are the same. So, yeah, you'll ruffle some coaches' feathers. Um, you'll ruffle some athletes' feathers. But in the end, you come out with a with a result that's far better than it ever would have happened before. Um, and I've seen that not only in, in team trainings, Ian, but I've seen you do that in seminar as well. There's a There are expectations there, and there's expectations of the group. Everyone's there for their own reason. Um, but you get far more accomplished when you have that kind of congruency that expectation, that culture within the group, even though they're there as individuals. So the, the coaching fraternity of the world do not understand what is a role or an optimal model of culture. They have no idea of the role of that culture has in the, in the process of winning, and they have no ability to identify the challenges to their culture. And when you can get the culture sorted, then you can focus on the final details that take you to King being the best in your in your space. And when you have continuity, and I think a great example of that, Mike, was we, we I did the women's crew three years in a row. You remember that? So we were able to have some continuity build. Yes, and that was a that was a massive that was a massive change for those women. Um, you you were able to address individual issues. Um, and I'm not I'm not talking about political issues. I'm not excuse me, I take that back. It was a political issue that you addressed in and amongst the team. How to get the team on the same page because there's there tends to be um, infighting or potentially infighting on on every team that slows the overall team's progress down. You're able to eliminate eliminate that in probably the first one to two sessions that we had in the first year and then the, the multiple training sessions over the following years, that that change, each change that you implemented was intact from year. And um, the women were able to go to NCAAs for the first time program. Uh, there was a sense of camaraderie. There was a sense of support. Uh, it was all positive. Like he, he had eliminated most of the negativity within the first sessions in the first year and not easy to do as a male coach in an all-women sport yeah so fortunately I've had quite a bit of experience in, in, that, um, in, that, in that arena so Mike you, you had a massive impact 
on literally thousands and thousands of coaches um, in your 26 years at the Tufts and in, in, in my time, which obviously a lot less than yours, my, my visits there, you know, people will remember what we did together in terms of the shift. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, retrospectively, no matter how great we have achieved professionally, you know, what, what are the more, what, what's important in life, Mike? Because you know, if you look back at what we achieved and you achieved and I, with, I helped you achieve, um, at Tufts, does it still stand? Uh, you know, like what, what, what are the things that we should be really focusing on in life? Oh, um, I'll go back to what I said in the beginning, Ian. The, the biggest attraction for me was seeing the continuity um, in philosophy, in life and training. It's all the same. Um, and I don't, I don't mean that to be cliche in any way. It's just um, that's really – that's – that's the biggest thing. You don't have to wear two hats um, when you're the same person. There's so much for you to incorporate in what you learn in other areas of life, what you learn in other areas outside of your industry that can be brought into this. Um, it can be brought into this industry that make your life seamless and so much easier to live. Because a, a life lived in conflict and wearing two hats. Um, being a dad, being all these different roles that we play, being a husband uh, or being a wife or or whoever, um, it it's not necessary to um, compartmentalize yourself. It's too much fucking energy to do that. But when you stay consistent all the way through, you're open to learning. You're humble enough to. Um, or you hum, you have the ability to humble yourself in order to become better. Um, life is is so much easier. Um, I know I'm talking probably larger from a philosophical standpoint, but I think that's the that's been a massive takeaway for me. Um, what we've been able to achieve as a family um, in regards to lifestyle, the time that I get to spend with my kids. Um, I'm on a I'm on a on a vacation. Right now, that's just been outstanding. I'm, I've get, I'm getting to see uh, one of my children perform at a uh, at a high level in her in her chosen sport. She's she's happy. I've had my whole family here for this uh, for this experience. They're happy. Uh, they're thinking for themselves. Uh, it's just I couldn't be more proud of of where we are as a family. And and to me, that's my family is probably one of the most important things to me. Uh, and I, that's another story is, is that uh, I'll never forget you, uh, you asked me what's most important. And I said, my family. He said, well, great. How? Just lost you one more. How much time do you spend with them? And that was way back when, when you and I were first getting to know each other. So I'm sure. Found out pretty quick my my values were a little askew. What I was doing was not what I was saying. So what Mike's doing is reinforcing that you know we, we believe there's a lot more to, to life than sets and reps. Being competent and fulfilling your potential as a as a coach is critical to give you autonomy in your lifestyle from a from a financial perspective, from an earning perspective. However. If your if your education was limited to your professional development only, you, there's no guarantee 
life quality outside of um, your, your clients or your colleagues. So as Mike's talked about the, the holistic approach that he's benefited from. So hopefully Mike's audio has come back. And what I want to do now is this is a pretty rare opportunity to, to ask Mike a question. We've got quite a few coaches on the call. So I'm going to turn the mic over, so to speak, and I encourage any of you um, with a question for Mike. Mike's the most uh, experienced, longest-serving coach in our program. He's got dual qualification in terms of he came from an athletic training or physical therapy background. So he brings that to the to the table, which is a great perspective from which to view what we do because I've, I've taught from the get-go that that every physical preparation coach should be as, as interested in injury prevention and injury rehabilitation as they are in anything else. In other words, injury should happen in the first place. And Mike's skill set that he's brought with us has been a great addition, um, working collaboratively with athletes in the last 20 years. So if you could place a hand up electronically, and as I said, this is a, a rare opportunity to ask Mike anything you want. He'll be more than willing to share openly. And, and, and we got Rick, Rick with the first hand. Rick, I just want to congratulate you for being the first hand up, um, followed by David and and uh, Mike. I will take you off mute. So, congratulate Rick for for taking advantage of the opportunity and, and stepping up. So you yeah, go thank, first. Rick. Sorry, yeah, sorry, Rick. I, Rick, I'm I'm sorry. Can I could I just make one comment on the um on what Ian was talking about? Yeah, sure. So I think one of the biggest things that, that holds people back, they, they don't have a full appreciation of how much choice they actually have. We tend to get so tied to our own paradigms, whether, whether they're our own, whether they're somebody else's, um, or an entire sector of society or an industry, because I, again, I don't believe that we actually exercise our power of choice to make different decisions. Um, so we either lack, we either, that we either self-limit our choices, um, or we lack the strength to exercise them. Um, again, probably one of the bigger lessons that, that I've learned in, in that time period, um, that affects everything I do. So I appreciate that, Rick. Thank you. I'm sorry. What's your question? Yeah, no props. Um, yeah, my question is, do you feel um, in your history as a physical therapist before covering KSI that do you feel that your hands-on experience in a practical sense with uh, a body on the table, so to speak, observing postural deviations and palpating tissue with different tension and suppleness has helped you transition or has it, has it been an, into the transition um, into the the physical preparation area, the KSI way, and if you can possibly, maybe I don't know if you have an example of how these two areas, um, physical therapy and preparing the athlete, have gelled um, for you. Oh, absolutely. Um, so early on, I was I was trained in a in a formal way for for physical therapy or sports medicine, athletic training, um, very science based, and you have to understand what influences science, and money being one of them. So when you go into a physical therapy practice and the way that the health insurance system, the healthcare system is set up is that there's actually no real reward other than your own personal incentive um, or your personal drive to become better at what you do. So here in the States, um, 
I don't care how long you've been in practice. I don't care how good you are in practice. Um, the insurance company literally deems how much you can charge for your services. And they'll go right down to telling you, um, for this injury, you get two visits a week uh, for the next six weeks. And if you have to do more, you'll apply to the insurance company for more. You won't have a discussion with your with your patient, with your client. Um, you'll actually have a discussion with the insurance company to make sure that they're going to pay for it. And none of none of their figures, because I worked in this setting for a while, none of those figures from a business standpoint included the overhead of running that practice. It's solely paid for your contact time or supposed contact time with your patient. So in a, at least here in the States, I don't know what it's like in, in other parts of the world, but I gotta, I'm going to assume that it's similar. Um, you've got to increase volume in your practice. So it's not book one client per hour or per two hours or for whatever it takes to get a result. It's book four, five, or ten because it's the only way. And then they set up, they set up the science to support that model. Okay, I can have this person icing, I can have this person on hot packs, I can have this one in, the, in a whirlpool, this one can be doing e-stim, this one I'm going to do a five-minute massage, I don't know what that does, but um, I'm going to do a, a five-minute massage, then we're going to go over to ultrasound. We'll do a couple of exercises. It'll be um, e-stim, e-stim to finish, and off they'll go. That's it. And that, proto that protocol, that pattern that I just gave you would apply to your neck, your shoulder, your back, your knee, your hip, your big toe, your ankle, whatever. Um, and it, it really got me to question what's, what's really going on here? Is that person getting better because of all of these different modalities that I used with them? Or are they just getting better because they actually fucking rested and they got out of the environment that caused the injury in the first place? There was very little education in what caused this process. So one of the biggest, and again, everything's, a, everything's big. Everything's big that we learned with, with KSI because it has such a profound impact. When you, can when you can charge what your true value is and you're not focused on the money, you're focused on getting the result with your client and you're doing what's in their best interest. I went from... Rick, using all of those different modalities to using my hands and educating and educating the client. Um, and I've got a reputation in, in the area now for for figuring out what other people can't. And it's because they held on to these old beliefs and these old patterns of thinking, this, this whole um, protocol-based kinds of kinds of treatment. Um, when it's it's not a treatment at all. You're you're in, you're educating your client. You're empowering your client to think for themselves, to do for themselves, and then you're coming over the top with some skills, knowledge, and wisdom um, that you've developed over the years. Um, so yeah, my my practice and the way that uh, I go about my business, the way I go about my my everyday life, is a 180 degree turnaround from what my formal education was in the beginning. Is that helpful, Rick? Yeah, that's fantastic. 
it um, really resonates with me because I've been a soft tissue body worker for over 10 years now, and um, but I'm not a physiotherapist, so I spend an hour, Matt, or an hour plus with a client, but they come to see me because they previously only had 10 minutes, like you say, in a regimented fashion. Um, and I just wanted to, yeah, it's good to hear the story that um, how things have transitioned into the physical prep side, well as you know, as a holistic thing too. So um, I'm doing a level one now, the legacy course, so I'm really enjoying. It. And that's fantastic because you're gonna, you'll find things. Um, you'll find little hidden things that are uh, affecting or influencing your thinking in certain ways, and you you can come face-to-face with them, and you can use that power and strength of choice um, to make decisions that are going to help you and your and your clients get better results. Um, right. You can you start to you start to more critically think, because I've met enough, or I've got, I still have friends within the physical therapy industry that are still doing things those old ways, but now they're being taught new ways, and now they call it manual therapy, and that's um, making a that's making a resurgent. But they're still doing it with it's manual therapy, but they're still doing it with old mindsets, um, yep. pro- protocol-based mindsets, and you probably even see that in soft tissue work. Oh, definitely. Yes. How do you go and it's, with it's that? Not, it, and it's not, necess- it's not necessarily in the best interest of the client or the patient because they've got very little say and very little input into what's happening. So that communication with, with client is, is so critical. It's so critical for us as um, physical prep or, or rehab to actually partner with our Whoever partner with whoever we're working with, um, and not make assumptions that we know it all, because we don't. And no one knows their body like the person who owns the body. And if you don't respect that, um, you're only working on half truths and half information. Yeah, that's fantastic, Mike. Thanks for your that answers my question brilliantly. Excellent. Thank you, Rick. Really appreciate you putting your head up and getting involved. So, David Capadier has got a question for Mike as well. If there's anyone else, put your hand up. Hi, Mike. So, my question is, what steps did you take to go from the underpaid and overworked job that you had back then in at Tufts University? Can you, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Mike. Yep. Did you hear David? Sorry. It, um no, I, I didn't hear the question. The next question. I'm sorry. I appreciate Rick's Dave, question. Though. Thank you. Dave, Dave will start again, and if you can't hear him, let me know. Mike, Mike, can you hear me? We'll do. Mike, can you hear David? I can't hear you, Dave. Thanks. Okay. Hi, Mike. So my question was, uh, what steps did you take to go from the underpaid and overworked job that Dave, you can had you at the Tufts University to the lifestyle that you now have? So, Mike, I'll repeat Dave's question for you. Yep. He said, what steps did you take to go from being underpaid and overworked in your lifestyle prior to KSI to where you are now? In other words, there's obviously a lot of things, but what were some of the key things that 
stand out to you looking back at it in your transition? Number one, develop your, develop your competency. So you want to be able to provide more value than whatever organization or institution or, uh, or, or even client base um, feels they place on, on that profession. So when you go to, when you go to work for the university, as an example, they don't necessarily pay you what, um, what you're actually worth. They pay you on the perception of your value to the institution. And it's, everybody's looking for something for nothing. So they underpay you. Um, they'll try to sell you on the, the title of the, of the program or the, your own personal job title. Uh, you want to far and away exceed whatever their expectations are so that you become not just a valuable member of the team, but you become an invaluable member of the team. You're priceless when you work for them. Um, at the institutional level, it's how many people did you have a result with um, so that the kids, the athletes, your clientele, um, are just stark raving mad fans of what you do for them, and they couldn't possibly get along without you. Not in the, not in the essence of having a dependency on what you do. They just begin to realize what your true value and worth is in that in that space. Um, so that would be step number one. And along the way, I think you're building trust with your with the people around you. You act in a in a manner of integrity. Uh, you remain humble, um, and you develop communication skills would be the next step. Uh, and you develop your business skills so that when you put, when you do put your numbers together and start to phase out of certain, certain, um, aspects of your job that you can, you can do so and you can support it by the numbers. Uh, and then you, you you form the exit strategy and move into the life that you've always wanted. How's that, David? That's excellent. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, David. Appreciate it, David. So let's go to Greg Hazard. I think Greg had a hand up. Yeah, Mike, can you hear me? I can, Greg. Um, yeah, similar question to what David just said. Um, and it was just what what, are, what was it about the KSI program that made life easier for you? It's it's such a progress because we're talking about a we're talking about a twenty year progress that's uh, or, or twenty year transition in learning and competency that's that's still continuing to grow. Um, well, let, let's be honest, mate. It wasn't always made easy. I made life more difficult with your wife, didn't I? <laughs> it nobody likes change. Nobody <laughs> likes change. Um, so you, you've got to fight some slings and arrows, um, and someone as someone who's like who is Ian uh, and challenges your current beliefs, um, your paradigms. Um, it's hard for someone who's close to you to see you change because they think they're going to be accessed. They'll be uh, not accessed. They'll be. That's um, the word I'm looking for. They don't necessarily want you to change. They think you're going to change in some weird kind of fanatic way, uh, and and 
their expectations of you are, are will be shattered and um, we've been we've been through that transition um, Ronna didn't spend as much time with with Ian as I had in the early days and she could see the the um, the changes in me and my ways of doing things and thinking forward about you know, what we're going to do uh, it was a little upsetting at first and uh, it was met with it was met with some resistance but then when you when you bring that person in and you help them to understand why you're doing this and you can provide logical rationale and then thereby give them windows into the future of what you're actually trying to do uh, and they get to spend more time with the person who's influencing you, um, they get over it pretty quick. So I interrupted your flow on that one. Sorry, Mike. Um, so is there anything else that, for Greg that you put down as a catalyst? Put down as a catalyst for, for my change or for... Yeah. No, for your change, for your change. You know, the, the, hey, you... Because you, you've made a lot of changes over those 20 years. Oh, you think? <laughs> you, mean that, you mean like I have a retirement account? Uh, <laughs> I've, I've got a, I have, uh, I have multiple streams of income. I don't just have to rely on a, on a one-to-one. Um, I'm on the road to, to paying my house off and having a secure financial future, putting my kids through, through college. You mean those kind of things, Ian? Yeah, some of those things, fine. <laughs> <laughs> but all of that had to begin with a plan, and the plan had to be had to be preceded by an education um, in those areas that I was I was extraordinarily weak on. Because you spent your whole life saying, "Okay, I want to be in I want to be in physical preparation or whatever the profession is." So I must I must study that industry. I must study that task. Um, and nothing else can I be distracted with. And it's not even distracted. You actually just stuck your head in the sand and ignored it. Um, so to, to be able to receive the education in that uh, and go through the kind of trials and tribulations, because change isn't easy for the people around you, and it's certainly not easy for you. But if you, if you hang in the game and you open yourself to learning, and you don't run and hide. There's some amazing things that can happen. And, and again, I'm, I'm not saying that's easy. It's, there's a dose of humility. There's a dose of, geez, I wasn't even thinking. Um, or there's a dose of, what was I thinking? Um, there's a lot that goes on it, on with it. So your, your personal development um, is, is critical in this, in this path of balancing it all. Uh, and I can honestly say that I wouldn't be where I'm at. Um, if if I hadn't learned all of those things, is that helpful for you, Greg? Yeah, thanks, Frank. Happy to help. I appreciate that, Greg. So, just final round. If there was a question for Mike or any of the coaches, now we've got quite a few of the coaches on the line. Um, Greg, just just for Greg. Greg, some of the some of that too in, in that transition is is realizing that what you're doing may not be working, or or even asking yourself, is there a better way to do it? Could I could I achieve a result better 
if I did things or learned things differently? That probably summarizes what I was really trying to get at is I've, I've met clients that say, oh, you know, I've got this great life right now and blah, blah, blah. And, and the question I have for them is, well, could it be better? Then we can then we can set off together and figure it out. Thanks for the question, Greg. Yeah, thank you. Actually, so we've got Tong with a question. Thank you, Tong. The floor's yours. Tom, you're on self-mute, perhaps. I, I can't hear your voice. You hear me now? Yeah, got you now. Thank you. Okay. I wanted to um, ask Mike's um, coaching how he came to see an athlete's potential and how he positively fostered that throughout the years and what he saw in that person to stay positive as an athlete all these years. That was my first question. My second question um, is how do you as a coach stay motivated in the KSI way when it's so vastly different from what you're used to? So the, the first question is how do you see potential in an athlete? And the second mm-hmm. question is how do you stay motivated? Mm-hmm. So you, you see a – you see a limitless potential in, in anyone that comes to see you. So what's what's critical first is understand where they're at and have the time and the patience to work with that athlete over time on various aspects of their development as a as a person and as an athlete. Sometimes you have to meet meet them on a psychological level first. They come in for physical preparation, but what they, what they really need is um, is more personal development. So meet the athlete where they're at. Understand what the what the connections are. So if we Tong, if we limited this to the four physical qualities, what are the what are the four physical qualities? Um, strength, uh, flexibility, um, endurance, and speed. Okay, so now let's now let's pull it back a little bit larger picture. Now, what are the athletic qualities? Oh, you're putting me on the spot here. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. So we've got okay. we know we know we've got physical, and physical's got four sub qualities. Yes. Yes. Okay. So the athletic qualities would be one physical, and these are in no order of importance. Um, physical. Qualities? Technical. Mm-hmm. Good girl. Technical? Tactical. Tactical. Yep. Psychological. Exactly. You got 100 on the quiz. <laughs> that was a hard one. <laughs> <laughs> so understand, understand what the interplay is of all of those qualities and sub-qualities. So as an example, is when the athlete comes in and says, you know, geez, I, I, I just lack... I lack first step quickness. 
is it really their first step quickness that they lack or is it more of a psychological trait where they just they they have this question in their mind can i can i really step fast enough so there's a processing going on in their mind causing the delay of that first step so is that actually a physical quality or can you trace it back to a psychological it's probably a psychological it could also be in that same example it could also be a technical sorry a tactical issue if they're questioning what's happening on the field of play, that again, that hesitation from a tactical standpoint can delay that first step. So you really got to work with the athlete and see what the connections and cross connections are, and then get to the source of it and address that. And then once you have that down, what's the next thing we can work on? What's the next thing we can work on? What's the next thing we can work on? So it's more than just the load on the bar. It's working with an athlete in all of those different areas that we just outlined to help them, to help them improve themselves and their performance. So I'm, I'm assuming that um, it will probably be a lot easier if you keep doing that with many many athletes in many different events. Yes, and that's where that's where the competency steps in. The competency steps in. I've had the advantage of working with literally thousands of athletes every year for the last 30 years and 20 years in KSI. Um, in large in large populations, um, and after a while, you you start to see some patterns form. Um, each pattern there's always a caveat that goes with it that makes it more individualized. But one of the one of the things, and this is where it, it kind of compounds. My next answer compounds on the on the first answer of understanding those cross connections. It's how do you stay motivated? You stay motivated by, by becoming a coach or becoming a person that cares enough about the person in front of them to adjust, to adjust their coaching style, meet up with who their client is and where they're at. So there's a, there's a constant challenge for you as a coach to change the way that you coach to better meet the needs of who you're working with. Do you understand that, Tom? Yeah. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. So I get I get massive personal reward from seeing a person grow and challenge themselves. I get massive reward from um, seeing that same person develop their own self-coaching skills so that they can manage their own problems without me. And in that space, that's my opportunity to become better as a coach and stay and stay ahead of them, so to speak, so that I can offer a higher and higher quality of service and have a deeper impact uh, on them as a person and as, as an athlete.
Actually, question, point, oh, sorry, you go ahead. I appreciate it, Tom, with that question. So we're definitely going overtime here, which I don't mind. I appreciate every opportunity we have to speak with Mike. If, if there is a question for any other coaches uh, from anyone, we also have a lot of our coaches on around the world, um, some many, some very high-level coaches. So it looks like we temporarily exhausted their questions, Mike. So, in the in the wrap up, Mike, if there's any words of wisdom, just I'm not just talking about the people that's called, but to anybody in the industry who's looking at perhaps KSI and saying, "Well, it doesn't really look different. I wonder what makes it different." You got any words of wisdom that might that may or may not serve them? Oh. I think it's. The words of wisdom would, would be to to challenge yourself, to grow, to think um, to think differently in order to get a, busy, a, a better result with the people around you. Um, having that having that consistency, that con- congruency in your in your life and in your in your practice. Um, Is is huge. So to challenge yourself in all of those in all of those areas um, is absolutely critical. I think to I think Ian's developed a program that, from a social standpoint, a lot um, a lot easier to get into than when I came than when I came in. So it, it should be. When you look at when you look at the program, um, I think you can get a lot of general questions answered in the beginning. But if you want the real good stuff, um, you got to stay in the game longer. And to to exit the game early, um, I don't I don't know how much hope I'd have for you because societal pressure would just average out, and I don't think you could do or become the type of, of coach or person that um, that you're fully capable of. Not that you would not that you would fail at life. I'm not saying that at all. But I can tell you through my own experience, um, it was a it was a twenty year shortcut. It would probably would have taken me forty years to get where I am right now, having gone through more traditional methods um, than um, than I am currently. I appreciate that. Some great words, Mike. I just couldn't say it about myself. And just for everyone to know, we, we've we've actually just recently, I haven't released it yet, but uh, we're expanding the program uh, to introduce a level O. Uh, I'm not going to talk about it too much more because it hasn't been officially released. But what it has done is we, we've it's meant we've brought more content to the table. So the content is actually, in the formal sense, is broadened. A few of the coaches on the call have been privy to some of that content. And could comment on that. And it's also meant that the entrant point is, is lower, so that might give you more opportunity to see the KSI difference. And the final point of difference is in, in reviewing our, in our content distribution across the, the eight levels now. Um, it's, it's, we've, it's, it's sharpened. We've really sharpened up on our, in our content delivery 
and there's actually more content being delivered at all levels than there was before. So, without going into too much detail, there's just some of the more recent developments. Um, just to add on top of that, Ian, um, I think everyone should should understand the um, the developmental process that this has gone through. I mean, when I when I first started, so back in in uh, gee, 1998, I started with the with the Foundations of Physical Preparation program, uh, supported by the book, and it was all it was done electronically, and I had to submit questions um, or multiple choice questions by um, by email, which you corrected and and the I think the the breadth of content that you can now offer because of uh, because of technology because of webinars um, it's so much more efficient than what we had to deal with back um, back 20 years ago um, the level of interaction that young coaches uh, or coaches that want to make changes have right now and the, the level of mentorship, that's that's on that's on offer is unprecedented in the last 20 years. No one better to make that comparison than yourself, Mike. So as we come to the end of our little chat, Mike, you, you've got challenges in life. Anything you wanted to share with the coaches at the moment? Um. Yeah, I've got some. There's, there's some big challenges. We've all got challenges. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just lost your audio, Mike. Let's see where the mic is for this. A certain peace of mind that I get because of the person that I've become, um, I'm better to handle the situation that I'm in and, and better care for the people around me because of this, because of the program. Mike, and, we might be losing a little bit of your audio, sorry. We've only heard about five or six words. Um, oh, my part. You're able to stand still and start again? Yep. So, so I'm fighting a, I'm fighting a battle now that, um, I never would have anticipated. Um, even, hell, even three years ago. Um, but I'm very, I'm very proud of the person that I've become in that process because I've been able to put things in place to better take care of the people around me that I care about most. Um, there's a certain peace that comes along with that. Um, I'm still learning in the process and I'm still eager to learn in that process, which may, which still makes life extremely exciting for me. Um, so it's, it's who you become first as you come into this program, uh, for me, that's been probably one of the biggest values in, in retrospect. That um, I do have, I do have choice, I do have perspective on things, and I'm excited about what the future holds because I've got 
I've got no plans on stopping. Um, I enjoy being on, on weekly calls with the CMP coaches because I get to hear and see the growth in each one of these coaches' lives, and I, I in turn learn from that. So I, I get to receive, but I also continually serve, no matter what the situation. And again, I'm I'm get, very, go ahead, Ian. Sorry, Mike. So I was going to get each of the coaches who've who benefited from Mike's teaching, just to to express some of the appreciation, some of the benefits they've received. Starting with uh, our, our lower end of coaches on the calls, and that means those had physical contact with Mike in our annual Park City event. Um, I'd love to hear a few words. Uh, put your head up if you're able to do that. Put your head up electronically if you if you spend time with Mike in Park City and your position to just share with the group the benefits of Mike's involvement in the program. Uh, at this stage, I've got Rob. I was hoping for more hands than that. Um, but we'll start with uh, we'll start with Rob. Rob, go ahead, please. Yeah, thanks, Ian. Can you hear me, Mike? I can, Rob. Yeah, Mike, you're an amazing man, um, and I'm, I'm just so grateful for, for everything. Um, I think we've probably known each other for around, I'd say, four years now, a couple up to five years, and every single interaction, I've, I've learned something, I've grown as a person. Um, what stands out as well is just your generosity. So not just in person, but also you've been kind enough to help me to help clients with program design, and I've learned so much that I still apply today. Like I often think back to, to our conversations whenever I have a challenge or uh, I want to get better at something. So it just continually helps me. Um, so, yeah, I can't express how, how grateful I am for that. That's so appreciated, Rob. Thank you. Beautiful, Rob. Thank you. Thank you. Going to Tong. Hi, Mike. I remember the first time we were in Park City and we were playing volleyball. And you, for some reason I was the captain didn't know what I was doing, how to even play the game. Um, and as I was playing, you were helping me stay positive, and I had all this energy and all this excitement but didn't quite know how to direct my energy. And basically what you said to me was you have so much potential and so much positivity and so much energy here that if you were able to – learn from that and actually control it and do something with it. You'd make a huge difference with the people that are around you. And from that moment, when you said those words to me, I actually saw how much I could um, contribute to other people. So for me, that was huge. I think that was probably one of the reasons why I stuck it through with KSIs because you told me that there is something good here that you need to delve into more and that you need to actually find what is there because there's a lot there. So I really thank you for that and because you took the time to tell me what I really needed to do to move forward with my own self-development and having KSI along the way has really helped me learn more about myself. So that was a huge moment for me, and I really appreciate you fostering that within me. So thank you. And thanks for being open to it, Tom. Yeah, you know, and, and I was on the other side of the court, Tom, and I was saying, yeah, smash the ball of that little girl. 
Just joking. Appreciate that, Tom. Thank so you. So, Aaron, I'm not, I'm not sure, Aaron, if you have a trouble with the challenge with your hand up on there. I'm trying to speak, Aaron, you're off mute, though. Um, yeah, I suppose um, I remember uh, the ride back from uh, Salt Lake City the first time I went to camp two years ago, and we dropped bags off. Uh, for all you guys in Salt Lake City, and I was heading back up with Mike in, in back up to Park City, where I was going home. I was getting a, a flight the next day, but um, he was very generous with his information. I had a lot of questions, and I got him on his own, so I used my time wisely and asked him a bunch of questions from um, from a business point of view and everything. And he was very generous with his time, very open, and I learned a lot on that bus ride back. And in hindsight, camp was over. It was done, really. But he was still very generous with time, very open, and helped me with a lot of the challenges I was having in my own business at the time. Um, so generous to the last. And, and as I say, camp was over. He, he, you know, he didn't have to do anything, really. But that's just Mike. Um, Never-ending generosity. He's a great man. Really appreciate that, Aaron. It's... Um... It was a pleasure to spend time with you because it's you had questions to ask, um, and I've got a, I've got a feeling that, that things have gotten better for you and, and for your family since then because of not just what what we've said but what what you've learned in the in the program since you've come in. So thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Aaron. We're going to David. So, Mike, I remember two years ago you were the coach of my group uh, in, in the volleyball game. And everything that you just just said during this call, um, I can totally um, relate to that. I mean, I, I saw that you, you were very patient. Uh, your generosity was, was, ex, was extremely uh, big. Um, you're a very serving uh, person, and you got the best out of me. But what I want to tell you... Um, Especially, and nothing to do with the camp, but when I saw the support that you receive on Facebook, um, the support that you receive from all the people that you have touched uh, their lives of, um, that that alone, um, when I saw that, it, it it really touched me, Mike. It, it it just shows what a great person you are. Just it, on Facebook, that just shows how many lives you you have touched on. What 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 you really mean for for all those people that you that you have served, and I really think that is very inspiring. And um, in in that way, Mike, you're really a role model for me. If I could only <laughs> inspire half or, or or serve half of the people that you that you have touched their lives, that that would be really great. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. Thanks so much, David. It's been. Um in that respect, probably one of the, the biggest things that's been was probably the hardest learning point for me was was how to receive um, and having having that kind of support come out of nowhere because I had no expectation that over the last 20 years, 30 years, um, that things would come back to me in that way because it was simply it was simply just doing your best for who was in front of you. Whether it was a group, small group, or individual, um, that's really what it came down to. And, and when 
when all of that support came out, it was a real life lesson for me. Um, not always easy to accept, but deeply, deeply appreciative of um, my experience with, with people. And um, thank you for, for those words. You're welcome, Mike. Thank you. And thank, thank you. you. So we're going to jump to Gregory. Yeah, Mike, I just want to share the, I remember the first time I was at camp, um, I think this is four years ago now, and um, when we were doing program design um, at the end and you were analyzing my program and just the way you teach, I just remember every time like we spoke, I would just have like light bulb after light bulb going off and just like I, I learned so much from you and all the way up to Cape Cod where it's just like you, you just learned so much and I just want to say you're such a you're such a great teacher and what you were kind of talking about earlier today about matching matching with someone and, and being challenged to teach them on their level and I just I just feel like you do that so well and it's just been it's just been really great learning from you. So I just wanted to thank you. Really appreciate that Greg. It um, it means a lot as a coach because and it's a, it's a big reflection on the program that Ian's developed because he helps you to, he mentors you and, and he helps you to develop those skills because that's how they are. Um, it's not necessarily a personality trait or anything that's God given. It's something that, um, can be learned and it can be developed. Um, so it's, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Greg. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. And John. So same thing with my brother. I've had a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with Mike. Um, I've had the privilege to be at Cape Cod with uh, sometimes where I'm the only person there or only there with one other coach. And every time I've gotten that kind of one-on-one -on -one time to spend with Mike, I've the same thing. Light bulbs have gone off. He's changed my way of thinking, changed my way into what a session is, what a speed session is, what programming is, what um, – um, long-term programming is, um, what the assessment is, and uh, um, just really appreciative of the, the time he spent with me and, uh, you know, the knowledge he's imparted on me. And um, also that there's also a, a balance to that. Because I remember the first time I went to camp, um, him and Mitch were like dicking around and talking about the Micah's and Vinny punch. And Mike was showing uh, Mitch the, like the video of it on YouTube on his phone. And I was like, Oh wow. That, like, Cause the whole time they were like, kind of like just teaching us and like, you know, kind of strict. And then when I saw that, I was like, Oh wow. They're just dicking around and having fun right now. And I was like, I get that. That's what I like to do. <laughs> and it was just uh after that, I just felt like really comfortable at camp and I felt like I was in a really safe environment and it helped me, you know, kind of let go and just be free to learn. So, yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> thanks. Thanks to you, John, because it's um, fun's fun's part of life and it needs to be part of life. Yep. There's time. There's time to be serious. There's time to have serious fun. And then, then there's just time to have fun. And we get to we get to explore all of that, and to, to leave it out of life or leave it out of training is a 
is a massive mistake. And I, I credit you, John, with actually creating the um, the invite-only level five and above camp because uh, it was it was born out of your curiosity and your your persistency to um, to want to learn more at a faster rate and get more exposure to the to the coaches. So um, really appreciate your contributions to the program. Yeah, of course, my pleasure. A bit of history there. That's that's a good point, Mike. The scary thing is, Mike. Um, it sounds like without your presence, the, the program will fold, though, because you know, <laughs> people turned up again. Oh, <laughs> far from it. Far from it. I think we've we've oh, got some know, great Mike. people in the program. <laughs> oh boy. Got a missile, missile there. Hey, I'm sorry. Before you do, John, how many how many days in total do you reckon you spent with Mike in Camp uh, Cape Cod, Park City, wherever? How many total days and how many how many years? Oh man, the, um, it's. My first camp was 2013, and um, I've I've been at Cape Cod a couple of times where it's just been you know just me or just me and Tom, and uh, like there's just so many moments like me and Mike just down in his office going over programming, me and him doing a like a speed session with a client, um, me and him in uh, Park City, not even not even on the field, not even in one of the rooms just literally in his hotel room going on the computer and going over assessments and stuff like that. So, and then even last time I was in Cape Cod, uh, working with that guy's shoulder injury, um, I was still able to get some one-on-one time with Mike that just kind of like really helped me out and put everything into perspective. So, and you know, he showed me some things that I still use to this day, of course. So yeah, a lot. Well, it's probably you know probably thirty to fifty days together, and somewhere in the rain, not bad for someone living on the far side of the country. So it just shows the opportunity we offer in the program to be mentored. Mm-hmm. Okay, we go to Mitchell. If Mitchell's there, so Mike, I just want to thank you for teaching me how to go to sleep really quickly in America. Um, in all, the years, in all the years that we've roomed together since 2005, it must be, um, Mike was always giving me 10 minutes to get to sleep. And if I didn't get to sleep, mind you, I'm traveling to Australia, the time zones are a bit different. He'd subsequently go to sleep and I wouldn't get any. So I just want to thank you for those lessons in recovery. Mike. I also that want to th- it's, Sorry? It's, it was an effort. It was an effort to help you appreciate every minute in life, Mitch. Oh, and I'm so grateful. And I also want to thank you for teaching the anatomy. I mean, you taught me about the Hydrofilator muscle group that, you know, only you can teach and no one's been able to teach me, not even Ian, um, about this muscle group's origin, insertion and its role in the body. So I just want to thank you for that. Um, and also, you know, over the years, what has it been? I'm probably 15. You know, you've come to Australia and spent time with, you know, at my place and, and I've been to America, obviously, and spent time with you and your family and, there's been there were a number of years it was just you and I in the coaching program with Ellen. I don't know how many years that was for. Um, you know, we've run camps together, all that kind of stuff. So I just it's been a wonderful time and um you and I are opposites in many ways, but obviously very similar in many ways as well. So um yeah. You certainly showed me how to laugh and we had a great time, so I appreciate it. Uh same thing here, Mitch. It's um I've probably learned more from you than than um any other any other person other than Ian, um, 
of of how to improve myself, how to uh, how to look at things differently. Um, I'm always impressed with the with the clarity with which you speak, um, and your your knowledge base just continues to grow. Um, so I'm I'm very excited to watch continue to watch you grow um, because it's it's been a it's been a process and that that again you've probably taught me as much as I've ever taught you so I appreciate I appreciate the time that we do get to that we do get to spend together and um, in on any level so I, I really appreciate the time Mitch I'd like to give you a, I'd like to give you some wise words about the the high for later and the and the lower rigonoida but um, there's some things there's some things that we just have to keep within KSI. It can't it can't be let out into the public at, exactly uh, at too early a rate. Exactly, they're just not ready for it, Mike. So I, I appreciate it greatly. Likewise, as well, you know, I, I can have a competition with you about what I've learned from you as well. So we just let's call it even. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mitchell. So yeah. Mike's actually caused me a lot of grief over the years because he's got this thing called chivalry and he does chivalrous things like open doors for women and he gets me into a lot of trouble. I don't enjoy being compared to Mike. He knows what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So we will be getting together once again in Park City, those who have uh, eligible at least. And to be eligible, you have to be invited to level five and above and we will have the largest camp to date. Uh, it is a very uh, productive outcome for people. One of the greatest learning experiences they have. So, Mike, oh, I think all the coaches are looking forward to joining with you in Tadcot in uh, what about three to four weeks' time. Yes, yeah, so we've got a uh, we've got quite a camp planned out. We've already got um, team sessions with with probably we've got probably four to five different team sessions um, with various with various teams. We've got um, probably four lectures happening that week um, that we're starting to that we're that we're currently marketing, um, and that's not just for physical preparation coaches. It's it's for every um, every point that um, that would affect an athlete, whether it's their parents, their mentors, their uh, there's just inf- there's so much information that's going to be presented that week. It's it'll be ridiculous if I could invite invite the world in on. Um, on any of those sessions, they'd be well rewarded for their time. Uh, and then, in addition to that, we've got the um, the highest number of of individual clients for each one of the coaches coming. Um, a real challenging environment, but one that um, I think will will change the course of what you do and and continue to help you grow as as coaches. So, really appreciate it, Ian. Thank you. And you've got some charities lined up for us to donate to, Mike. Yep, out of those out of those four lectures, um, three of them would be um, would be different charities. So we've got Athletes Direction, we've got the AquaSafe um, Cape Cod Firefish program, and then we've got um, the Kids Play for Free uh, soccer program run by UKSD United Kids Soccer Development. Fantastic! So that that is great to hear. And in Park City, and obviously at any other time, we can also raise money for Kids Play International. So 
that's something we do, and we'll also look to share a lot of that on Facebook. Um, we might do some more Facebook Live and hope that others may wish to contribute to the charities that we nominate for those events too. So keep an eye out for that. Anyone listening to this audio between now and April. Well, Mike, we appreciate your time as always, and it's probably time you got back to the family before uh, Rhonda gets cranky with me again. Uh, yeah, I, I think she's learned how to forgive you. Yeah, no, I think she has. I think, I think we've, it's all good. So say hello to the family for me, and we will see them all in a matter of weeks. I want to thank not only Mike, but also all the coaches that came on the call to spend their time sharing with Mike, learning from Mike, and learning about Mike. We look forward to the role this audio recording plays moving forward. So thanks, everybody, and to our CMP coaches in five minutes, we'll start our usual weekly webinar training. Thanks, Mike, and thanks, everyone. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, everyone.